Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. We turn to Genesis chapter 28. If you turn to that or turn your Bible on um, to, to get there, I'll get to that in a, in a little while. There's two parts to what I want to do this morning with you. The first part is to speak directly into the corporate persona of this church and the spirit of this church in the way that um, in the beginning of the, the book of Revelations where John's on the island of Patmos and uh, Jesus speaks to him. He says, speak to the church at Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and so on. And he brought a prophetic word into their, into their experience of where they were at that particular time. And I'm going to share something for you. And then the second part is a message, I think, is for God, for us all, um, that we can take on board and grow uh, through it. So first of all, I want to bring greetings to you from my wife, Karen. Um, she is hosting our church this morning. And my son, Joshua, uh, he's now 28. He's the associate pastor in the church. He's traveled with me since he was 10. Um, on the back of a motorbike, going around the country, preaching, stirring up a revival here and there, casting demons out, bringing miracles of healing, stuff. So he was raised with that, and so he's, he's ministering the Word of God this morning. And uh, also from City Church, the, the church that I have the privilege of being the senior pastor of. <clears throat> I've been there for three years. Um, prior to that, I was in Lancaster for 23 years, um, originally from London, but I was in 23 years uh, working predominantly with a healing ministry, um, traveling around the world, bringing healing and deliverance to broken, damaged people, but also to broken, damaged communities, God's churches and, uh, and stuff, cities. Um, and so I wear two caps, really, just by way of introduction. One is the senior pastor of City Church. And God brought us there three years ago to turn a, a wounded church around. It was a church that was a flagship for renewal in its day, in its day. And uh, when I arrived, there were, the main body of the people were still living in that day. Uh, but the wave had been and gone and no one had told them. Um, it's okay, they love me, I've said this to them. I think my first message to them on a Sunday morning was, you are so sloppy, it's unbelievable. You've got to sharpen up, straighten up and fly right if we're going to realize the dream of God for this house. So stop licking your wounds. Let's just get it together and let's get healed in process. But, you know, we're here for a purpose, for the pleasure of God and for the purpose of God. So that's the kind of father that I am in the house. It's like you can sit up on my knee, I'll stroke you, tickle you, play with you. But then, particularly with the young men and the leaders, it's like, no, no, this is not the way we do it. This is the way we do it. So fathering, the true fathering, brings correction as well as love and tenderness. Is that okay? Well, oh, kind of. Um, it'll do for now. Um, so, so, that, so I come here today because I've been invited to come in by your leadership, your eldership, and it's, and it's an honor to be able to do that. But I, I want you to know I come in peace said the prophet Buzz Lightyear, I think, in <laughs> storybook. I come in peace to infinity and beyond. Sounds like a charismatic speaker, doesn't it? Um, says a load of nonsense and the Holy Spirit comes. Um, let's hope for the latter. Um, so I do, I, I'm, I'm here to love on you. I'm here 
to be what I can to help this church go through uh, a difficult, challenging season. And I, I want to acknowledge, first of all, that each of you have uh, are living at the moment in a tension between grief and, uh, and shock. And, and that's the way it can get sometimes in life. But I want to acknowledge that we're experiencing challenge and difficulty and disappointment and some discouragement and some confusion. And I'm reminded of James. And, and I want to suggest to you, you should never, ever read the book of James um, <laughs> without a seatbelt on and a crash helmet because he's the type of guy that doesn't sort of, I'm trying to find the polite word, mess about, okay? He's like straight between the eyes. Yeah, that's what you've got to do. This is da-da-da. He's really quite direct. And so James opens up the whole blooming epistle with count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations and think, what are you smoking? That you should be saying things like that to people. Count it joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations. For goodness sakes, what, why would you say that? Shouldn't you get down with me in my, in, in my state of despair and love on me and tenderly care for me and have some empathy? Of course. But he says, you've got to see it also from a slightly different perspective. Not just your experience and your subjective experience and perceptions of all that's going on, but there's God. And he says, count it joy when you are faced with these kind of trials because God is at work in us and through us. And these moments in our history are designed by God to shake you. Thank you, God, for the shaking. And they are designed to do that. Yes, there's all the pain of human emotion, of grieving and, and challenge. But God not only allows it, he moves us into it. And you're thinking, that seems grossly unfair. Where's fairness in the Bible? Verse another day. But the reality is God's at work in you and he wants to be at work through you, okay? You see, I want to declare over you as individuals, God has a great plan for your life. God has created you for his pleasure and God has created you for his divine purpose. There is a dream in the heart of God which you and I have been created to be part of to partner with him, to be releasers of life, to be peacemakers, to be people that bring justice on the earth, all that kind of stuff. Hip hip. Hooray. Help me, Jesus. And he hasn't brought us thus far to abandon us. He hasn't brought us thus far to destroy us. When... Peter and the guys are in the boat going across the lake and the storm breaks out. Jesus is having a nap. Everyone's in a panic. Everyone's looking at the external experience of their very moment and they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we might drown? And I guess the unsaid words that Jesus said, I'm not in the slightest bit concerned. We need to understand today that God is not walking around heaven, biting his holy fingernails, really intimidated by the devil. He's not bothered too much about whatever the regional 
territorial ruling spirit is over your geographical area. God is God and he's really comfortable with that. So we need as his people to represent and reflect that in our lives if we are mature in Christ. Mature in Christ does not mean how many years you've been a Christian. I know many people that have been a Christian for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and they're no more mature than the year they got saved. And there's others that could be saved two or three years that are expressing a maturity. That's why Paul said, do not despise your youth, but be there an example to who? Those who think they're mature. To the believers. And so here we find ourselves, okay, I, I'm counting it real joy, Jesus. I'm, I'm really into that now. And uh, I realize you've got a plan for our life uh, and you've brought us here not to destroy us or abandon us. And I'm reminded of Joseph. Joseph. Seasons in my life, one season in particular, where I began to read the life of Joseph and it's the only thing that kept me sane. Where I had to look at beyond the experience I was going through because I realised that Joseph actually tried to do good. I mean, he was a bit mouthy, but I could identify with that. He was a bit like, you know, guys, God's really given me a vision and a dream and you're all going to bow down to me, then couldn't understand why they got upset with him. So he had a vision, he had a dream, he had unrealized potential, but he was on a journey of being able to be that instrument in the hand of God that God had designed and destined him for. So we were on a journey. And Joseph, having experienced really severe abuse, I mean, he did have death threats from those that were his relatives. That's not, that's not usual, really. But then again, he came from an incredibly dysfunctional family. Oh, yeah. And God used them as well. <laughs> Death threats, false accusation, abandonment. Thought he was forgotten, but ultimately said to those who were the cause of his pain, those who wickedly wounded him, he said, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. I want to tell you today that God has an agenda. God has a strategy. God has a plan. And it is for life and it is for abundant life. Now, you may think, well, this person meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The devil always operates through human agents. The enemy's like a, a lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. And the way the lions operate, because they're innately lazy, is that they don't attack the herd. They don't attack the strong. They attack the stragglers, those that have come apart because they're a bit limping. They're, they're limping along. And they're like, Ugh. It's my rejection and I'm going to fuel that until everyone feels bad about my situation. Or it could be the person that is just damaged and they're wounded and the enemy sees them as vulnerable and will attack them. And so we see that the enemy is like a lion seeking who he may devour, but God is with us. I'm going to give you four realities based in our situation right now. And we'll see who the mature are and who the immature are in Christ Jesus. Reality one, we cannot control other people's attitudes or behavior. 
There's nothing you can do about that. You can disapprove of it. You can even talk to others about their behavior and their attitude. But you can't control them because God has given them free will and they are responsible and accountable for the way they respond and react. You can't do anything about that. Reality number two. We are in total control and therefore responsible and accountable for our own attitude and our own behavior. So the only person that I've got power and control over is my own life. So whatever goes on around me, it's that they're responsible and accountable to God, and I'm responsible and accountable to God for the way that I conduct myself in any given situation. Reality number three is that the devil operates through weak, vulnerable, even wicked people and unhealed people. The enemy always inflames and exaggerates and, and, and magnifies and gives a perception that will always, always, always bring about division within the body and always, always, always justify itself. That's the reality. That's the reality. The fourth reality is Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So my Jesus is a freedom fighter. My Jesus come to destroy the works of our adversary. Isaiah 61 says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has come upon me so that I might open the eyes of the blind and set the captives free and heal the brokenhearted. And Jesus in Luke 4.18 stood up in the synagogue and he read that and said, this day is being fulfilled in the midst of you. So the very heartbeat of the Father revealed in Christ Jesus, the very moving of the Holy Spirit, is always to be responding to what the enemy destroys, Christ comes in to give life in an abundance. So how do I know what the devil looks like? Oh, Jesus made it very plain. He said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give it life in all its fullness. So where you see life, you see the work of the Holy Spirit. Where you see love and, and what that looks like, grace, mercy, peacemaking. Where, where you see love being demonstrated, there you see the divine. Where you see the enemy by the hallmarks of my, the Bible tells me these are the hallmarks, he's the accuser of the brethren. Accusation is a hallmark of Satan. Judgment. Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged. And the measure you use in judgment of others is the very measure I'm going to judge you with. So we're on dangerous ground when we judge others. Now let's bring it right back into our context here. We're in shock and a sudden resignation has taken place. I want to tell you that there is nothing sudden that has happened here. Because what's led from up to this is a long season of time of challenge and discontent and difficulty and wrestling and turmoil until it comes to a saturation point where a decision is made and we go, oh, didn't see that one coming. Now, here's the word of God. No matter what your feelings are, whatever you think is a prophetic unction of God, 
My Bible trumps your feeling. Okay? My Bible trumps your feeling. Okay? Honour your father and mother that it might be well with you. Both in the natural but also in the spiritual. No matter what your grievance is, if you don't honour your mother... My mother abandoned me at three years old. I remember I have visions of a young child seeing my mother having sex with men other than my father. abandoned through my teenage years, abandoned. At the age of 30, my brother and I went to see her and uh, she hugged my brother. She looked at me and she said, oh, you've come too, have you? I said, God, how do I I honour? How do I do this? How do I do this? Father, thank you that you caused this woman to carry me for that period of time and gave birth to me, gave life to me. There's something in her genetic coding that was essential for me to be me. I honour you for that. And I want to suggest to you today that after many years of faithful leadership and pastoral service, there has been a life laid down. We are building here on, on the shoulders of giants. You need to honour your father and mother that it might be well with you. The word of God says, touch not, my pro- t- touch not my prophets and don't do them any harm. And you're thinking, God, the people that you raise up, did you raise them up because they were perfect? No, because they were willing. Because they were willing. Not because they were perfect. Good Lord, the Lord knows I'm far from anything like that. But there's a willingness to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'll pay the price. I'll count the cost. I'll go the extra mile. I'll put myself in inconvenience. I'll suffer the financial loss. I'll do this so that we can get the job done. When I pioneered a church in Lancaster, my wife and I remortgaged our house three times just to keep the church afloat. So we carried the financial burden of pioneering into a city that didn't really want us to be there anyway. Love them. Shubba dubba dubba. No resentment here. Good. It's all gone now. But the reality is, I'm saying you've really got to honour your previous pastor. Okay? If you want it to go well with you. If you don't want it to go well with you, and if you want just to live and stew in your own self-justification, your own righteousness and your own judgment, your choice. Could you do it somewhere else? Because we don't want your toxins to contaminate the body here. Jacob, I think he had a bad press. He's the grabber. He's the usurper. I like him. He had a bit more about him than his brother, quite frankly, who's a bit half-baked, half-soaked, half-hearted. And he was the one that was lined up to receive all the blessing, all the inheritance and the birthright. And I'm thinking, really? Why would you give that to him? But Jacob, he's like going, give that to me. I'll do something more with it than he's doing. And you know the story so well. And because he's not perfect, and because his mother has got a few Jezebelic controlling issues, controlled her son to do certain things, stitched his father up, that's never a good thing, duped his brother, who's a bit bigger and a bit angrier than him, and and, and so he runs away. But he's got the birthright, and he's got the blessing. 
And in chapter 28, and I'll read it, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on it with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took a stone he had placed under his head and he set it up on a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, which means house of the Lord. Although the city used to be called Luz. I don't know what Luz means. Somebody, somebody might know. Very clever. Pleased. But he changed it to, this is the house of the Lord. Jacob, on this journey, lays his head up, goes to sleep. Sometimes it takes us to go to sleep for God to be able to communicate. It takes a, us to come above the noise. It takes a moment for us to be still and know that he is God. In, instead of organizing, reorganizing, structuring, strategizing, we just need to stop in silence and solitude, and allow Holy Spirit, we might hear the still small voice of the Father saying, what are you doing here again? I'm the only one in Israel, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, okay, let me just speak to you. And so Jacob, with all the things that are going on, practically goes to sleep, and in his dream, he has this vision of heaven opening up before him, the Lord at the, in heaven and a stairway with angels going up and down, and he wakes up and he says, flipping Nora. As I said the earlier service, that's a, that's a Greek term. <laughs> flipping Nora, or Norai, as the, you know. <laughs> God is here and I didn't even know it. God's here. I didn't see it until he opened up my eyes and gave me revelation. I did not see it. All I saw was sand and rocks and shrub and scorpions and snakes and not good, the odd camel, but no, God. Then he says, but God is here, even though I wasn't aware of it. Even in the midst of the wilderness... Even in the midst of barrenness, even in the midst of stuff... Father is here, it's whether we see it or not. It's possible for you and I to be in the same meeting and some people being ex uh, manifesting or experiencing the presence of God and others are sitting there thinking, really? I don't feel a thing. And it's possible in the same place that we can be oblivious to God's presence and aware of his workings in and through us and around us because we look at the circumstances rather than seeing from a different perspective. 
And then he goes on to say, this is none other than the house of God. <laughs> like he didn't see a building. He's talking of this place, this person. This is none other than the house of God. And the angels are ascending and descending. I find that fascinating. I preached on this uh, quite a few years ago now in, in, in our church in Lancaster. And I was pioneering up there. And I spoke about angels and the angelic presence. And we went through this b bizarre season. It's not been repeated really since. And I find that God takes us through seasons. And this season was feathers everywhere. I started preaching about angels and angels, ministering spirits, working with us. People were phoning me up from their work saying, Pastor, um, I've got feathers on my desk at work. I said, is that normal? He said, no. And people were saying, at home we've got feathers. We've got feathers. And I remember once... Uh, my dad was staying with us, and I said to him, oh, Dad, we've got this strange feather thing going on. I think it's angels. Uh, and he says, oh, they're just out of a pillow. I said, could be out of a pillow. Could be out of a pillow. I'm not arguing that they're not <laughs> pillow feathers. But they never happened before. But now they are, because we're thinking about the angelic presence in the midst of us. At which point he looked down, and between his feet was this huge feather about that big. I said, there you go. So what is that? It's a sign and a wonder, and we wonder what the sign's all about, to be honest with you. But, but the point is that in this house of the Lord, in this house of the Lord, in this house of the Lord, Jacob makes a declaration. How awesome is this place? And I want to make that declaration over you people. How awesome is this place? How awesome are you? You as individual houses of the Lord, and we corporately as the tabernacle of God. How awesome is this place? And in this place, God's presence is here. Whether you see him, perceive him, sense him, or don't, he's here. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The glory is not lifted from this house. I have been to many churches... I remember going to one church, and as I walked in, the Holy Spirit left me. So I went back outside again, and I said, are you not coming in? He said, no. And I said, why not? He said, they don't like me. I said, well, I need to be paid, so I need to go in. Um, nothing mercenary going on here, you know. Got five kids to feed. Uh, and hire purchase on the motorbike, so I can't, I can't, I've got to, you know... And I said, what do you mean? I said, they've got Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever over the pulpit. He said, yeah, seen that. He said, no, they don't want me. They want what I can do. They want to use me as a means to an end, but they don't want me. And uh, I said, so what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to tell them. <laughs> and as I stood in the congregation, I had a balcony. It was quite a, a full church with this balcony. And as I stood there, I saw this angel with a sword in his hand. And one of my intercessors had sent me a, a communication saying, you need to know the angel of the Lord is with you. And suddenly the fear of man that becomes a snare dissipates. You think, I'm, don't mess with that angel. 
So there's the angels. This is the house of the Lord. How awesome is this place? How, how awesome is this community? How awesome is this place? And the angels are ascending and descending. You're thinking, well, what on earth are they, would they be doing here? Well, Hebrews 1, verse 14 says that they are ministering spirits sent to serve us. Now, if you break down the language in, in which Hebrews was written, it says... Ministering spirits sent to serve us is diaconia epostello. Diaconia is where we get the word deacon from, and it means an attendant, a servant. It is someone who makes something happen. I mean, I used to be a Baptist minister years ago, and in my early experience was the church needed deliverance from deacons. Because it seemed that they were just there to hinder anything that had life and energy to it. Mm, can't do that. What if this happened? What if that? I think, oh, they were like, no offense if you're an accountant. Accountants suck the life out of me for faith because they go. <sighs> and I'm going, but we've got to have faith for this. It's like Eeyore gets hold of them. You know, you can sew my tail back on but it'll probably fall off again. <laughs> and then there's the Tiggers. The wonderful thing about Tiggers is that they're the, one, the, they're the only ones. They're bouncy, bouncy, flouncy, trouncy, fun, 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 fun. The wonderful thing about Triggers... There you go. It's a bit like that in church, isn't it? You're the only one. But that's what... The, the, in this context, the, the, the diaconia makes something happen. And the apostello, where we get the word apostle from, is that... You are set apart and sent on a mission. Set apart and set on a mission. True apostles are not bishops. Bishops oversee a number of churches. It's a pastoral job, an administrative job. But true apostles pioneer through uncharted territory. They cut through a pathway that others will follow on and eventually build a motorway. It's signs and wonders are a hallmark, but so is suffering. Because you're always meeting resistance and you're having to push through. And so it says in Hebrews 1.14 that angels are ministering spirits, they're diaconia apostello. They have been set apart to go on a mission to make something happen. So church, we bring that back. If the angels are coming down to work with us, they partner with us when we are set apart, sent on a mission, they enable things to take place. They bring in the supernatural of God. You're thinking, well, I'm not sure, not sure. Psalm 104, verse 3 and 4 says this. He, God, rides upon the wings of the wind, the angels, his messengers, his servants of fire. So God comes in with angelic presence. He rides on the wings of the wind, his messengers who are servants of fire. Oh, remember the day of Pentecost? Well, there they all were, one heart, one mind, in the upper room, trusting, believing, waiting for the anointing to come. Suddenly there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. God's coming in, riding on the wings of the wind, the angels. And all their heads caught alight. His servants, his flaming fire. And they're like, 
I'm thinking that's encouraging God. The psalmist could see that the day of Pentecost, what was going to happen, the wind describes the angelic presence and God is ushered in riding on this, this presence. And then Jacob declares it to be the house of the Lord, not a physical building, we know that. But the, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit individually and corporately. Our body, we are the body, the, the, we house, we hold, we steward the presence of God. Okay. And then I want to get to this bit, because this bit I quite like, because it's in blue. <laughs> and then he says this, and this is the gateway of heaven. Yeah. Gateways in the Bible speak of authority. So, so when you have the key to the gateway, you can open and release or you can close and keep out because you've got the power. You're the gateway. You can release or you can retain. And he says, this is the house of the Lord. How awesome is this place? Angels are coming up and down to work with us. Whoa, that's really quite charismatic. And then he says, but this is the gate of heaven. Now, we're going from a presence thing, glory thing, to a functional thing, to be a releasers of life into a place where there's death. So we make a difference. We are light in the darkness. Okay, you with me so far? So it's a place that we have access to heaven here on earth. The Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are releases of life and love and power and grace and mercy. I remember Jesus talking with the guys, and the guy Esses probably, and he's saying to them, guys, who, 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 out there, who, who do they say that I am? Who, who do they say that I am out there? And so they had a, Thomas obviously wasn't sure, um, but the rest were all debating it and said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. And others think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And people were looking at the evidence of the life of Christ and they were like, eh, could be this, could be that. Everyone's got an opinion, right? Everyone's got an opinion. And he says, okay, who do you say that I am? Thomas still wasn't sure. Peter, because Peter's Peter. Me, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, Peter, who am I? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus, is, Jesus said to him, well done, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. Whoa, Peter's got revelation. He's a Pentecostal suddenly. It's like, I've got revelation. And, and because he had the revelation and the words that he spoke created faith in the lives of those that were around him. You understand? He said, you're the Christ. They're going, Duh, why didn't I? I listened to Bill Johnson's teaching. I'm thinking, I know that. <laughs> Apparently I didn't, but I feel as though I should. It's revelation. It comes on. It's thinking, that's great. So he's got revelation. And he's released faith. And he's released revelation. So I turned the page in my Bible in Matthew 16, and Jesus starts telling them that he's going to Go to Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over to evil people, he's going to suffer, he's going to go through a mock trial, they're going to crucify him. Uh, but don't worry, guys, he said, I'm going to be raised on the third day. They didn't hear that bit. They just heard all this suffering stuff. So Peter, listen to this, out of care, good motive, out of care, out of concern. Okay, 
It takes Jesus to one side and says, look, I don't think that's the best idea. In actual fact, I think I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go through this. Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me. Why? Because you have the mind of man, not of God. Motive, good. But he was operating out of sentimentality. He was operating out of concern. He was operating out of friendship. And yet, and yet Jesus saw from a higher perspective. He said, yeah, I've got to go through this, but listen to this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. You see, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Well, because I like wallowing in it to be... No, not at all. It's for the joy that was... It's counted all joy because you're going through this. Don't pitch camp there. Don't just live there. Go through this. And the sooner we learn the lessons, the sooner we get out of the valley of the shadow of death and we can actually start seeing the resurrection of Christ made manifest within our lives. <laughs> Gateway of heaven. Peter, gateway of heaven, you are the Christ. Peter, gateway of hell, you have the mind of man, not of God. No matter what your motive is, you're wrong. Oh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. You see, we have to agree with heaven all the time. We have to get into the, the place wherever the Holy Spirit can communicate to us best and say, Jesus, not my opinion, because I, I look at everything from a finite position. I, 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 I see this, therefore I'm not aware of that. And God sees it all. And he's not outmaneuvered, outwitted. He's not, he's, sometimes he, I think he's sad. But my God is a redemptive God. My God is a God of redemption. He's paid the price. He's defeated all the powers of darkness through the cross. And he's done that so that we might enter into the fullness of life if we know how to operate. The devil is empowered by human agreement. Jesus said where two agree as touching anything, it will be done for them. Now, in spiritual laws, you need to understand that we think of that in, in a godly, Holy Spirit-filled environment where, to agree, touching anything, it shall be done unto us. Ooh. I'm sorry you guys seem to be the devil side. They're the holy side. <laughs> we'll swap it around in a bit. I don't want to bring confusion. Uh, you just stay devilish for the moment. Um, lift that off in Jesus' name. But it's like, we're to agree... Where two agree in conversation, you are empowering Satan. If it's not under the law of God. That's called religious witchcraft. No matter how right you are, you're wrong because of your attitude. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. Oh, I might, just have a, I might have a charismatic jacuzzi for a moment and feel more good about myself. My Bible trumps your experience. If you enter into the fullness of true anointing, not just soulish, emotional, blah, 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 
But if you really want to see the manifest power of God that brings transformation into people's lives, we need to straighten up and fly right. Come back to Discipleship 101. Don't judge. Don't gossip. If you can't say anything good, shut up. And if you can't shut up, go. Because I don't want your toxins here. I don't want you polluting. Oh, but what about justice? Have you had a look at the cross recently? There's justice right there. Right there. An innocent man, not only an innocent man, the son of the living God. When we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. That's the love of God for you. And he requires mercy, not judgment. So the gateway of hell is our mind. When we agree with man-centered perspective, natural wisdom, we can release demonic powers. When we agree with things that are not godly, we also release the power of the kingdom of heaven when we agree with God and we ask to see things from his perspective. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, bring every thought into captivity and make it obedient to Christ. Our goal has got to be to agree with heaven all the time so we might be gateways that release life and we bind and shut the door to our flesh and our opinion and our attitude and our, what about my wounding, Clive? Do you know what? God loves us so much. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to set the captive free. And he has time for you to process how you really feel and how you actually perceive. It doesn't mean to say you're right, but you have space to do that. And in that, the loving, healing power of God just comes and says, now, what are we going to do with this? What are we, ultimately, what are we going to do with this? Well, I'm going to rehearse it. And then I'm going to rehearse it again. Then I'm going to rehearse it with others so they can, they, they, they can feel it as well. At some point, we have to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, please. Forgive me for my attitude. Would you help me to forgive myself for not dealing with things as I should have done? And God, I've got to release you into my forgiveness too because I've blamed you for everything that's gone wrong. And if I was God, I wouldn't have handled it this way. <laughs> Just saying. Putting it out there. Not that God needs our forgiveness, of course. But that's how we feel. And the Father says, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I get that. I'm not abandoning you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. And if you allow me, I will heal you. And if you allow me, I'll cleanse you. And if you allow me, I'll restore to you the years the locust has eaten in your life. If you allow me. But there's only way, one way we're going to do this. And that's by way of the cross. There's no resurrection without a, without a crucifixion. And so I want to say to you that Jesus, in this context, said to Peter, I give to you, that's the plural, I give to you, you group of people, Peter and your friends, I give to you the keys of the gateway. 
I give you the keys of the kingdom of God here on earth. Whatever you bind is already bound. And whatever you loose is going to be loosed. So the responsibility comes back. I've got keys. I've got a good key and a bad key. And I can use the good key to release life. But I've got a good key that can bind death. But I've got a bad key that can open death and destroy what's being created by God. This is what Jesus said. Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you have the mind of man, not of God. Listen to this. And you have become a stumbling block to me. I don't want to be a stumbling block to Jesus. I I don't want us to be a stumbling block to Jesus. But the rate of resurrection life is through the cross. And the journey of our life, we, we have connection. And sometimes like Paul and Barnabas, having spent years suffering together for the cause of Christ, fell out over a young man, an issue, a detail. And uh, they parted company. And God blessed both of them. That's really annoying. I mean, I've left a ministry before now, and I'm thinking, uh, uh, the judgment of God will fall upon them because I, I know what's going on inside there. And years go by, and they're flourishing, and I'm still going, oh, God's going to judge them. And God says, how are we feeling about that now, Clive? I don't have resentment at all. I forgive them and I release them into my... And I heard myself saying that one day and I said, you know what, who am I kidding? I'm totally ticked off that they've been blessed and I haven't been blessed because I, I, was, I know I was right. Now, some people think they are. I know. I've got a few scriptures to back it up as well. They're my favourite ones to condemn others with. Huh? Holy Spirit, would you please come? Holy Spirit, just love on us just for a moment. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you a question, and with the question is a challenge for response. If you really want to be a releaser of life, if you want to be a gateway that releases life, that might mean that in this process you repent of releasing death. It might mean that. Or it might mean, God, I just really want to, whatever it takes, I want to be a releaser of love and life and power and grace and I want to be a person of mercy. I want to be a person that carries your presence and I want people to see your glory in me as I represent you, represent you through my conversation and my attitude and my behaviour Lord, and I choose to trust you with all of my heart and not lean on my understanding. The Holy Spirit says, if that's you, I want you to come and join me at the front. Just stand together. And as your emotion, those that want to respond and say, I want to be a releaser of life, just come and join me at the front.